Don't act like you've never heard this song. Maybe you've never heard it in church, but you've heard this song before. All right? Makes you want to do this a little bit. I mean, you guys haven't heard this song before then, right? All right. I don't know about you. When I hear that song, it makes me want to sing along, but obviously it didn't do the same for you this morning. Uh, But you can guess what the topic is today, right? Money. Everybody say money. And we've been in our Assassin series. We're going to be wrapping it up today. Uh, next week, we're going to do a uh, special service, introduce missions, and we'll hear, you'll hear more about that later. Uh, but as I was preparing this week for the topic of greed, and if we kind of recap the last few weeks, we started off with Assassins is all about how the enemy is, uh, disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, he's not the horned guy with the pitchfork that hides in your closet and tries to scare you or your kids. But the Bible says that the, that the devil was an angel in heaven, one of the top three, and he was kicked out of heaven, and because of that, he is an enemy of God, and because we are a part of God and in God's kingdom, he's an enemy of ours. And so he is an assassin, though. He's not someone uh, who just, you know, again, just surprised all the time. He is a stalker. He, he stalks his prey. He waits for the opportune time. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the things that the devil often uses in our life to assassinate, to kill the plan and the work of God in our lives. In the first week, we talked about bitterness and how that root of bitterness can really you know, hold you back from pursuing and holding unforgiveness and not allowing God to move in that. And then we talked about lust and, and how lust is a strong desire for something outside of the will of God for your life. And then last week, we talked about pride and how pride can really uh, hinder us from achieving all that God wants. And this week, we're going to talk about greed. And we've kind of been going through the, the seven deadly sins, and Galatians chapter 5 kind of describes what the life of someone being under the devil's control looks like. And if you want to uh, follow along on your app today, if you've never downloaded that, if you go to your app store on whatever device you have and search Adventure Church, you can download that, follow along, take notes right on your smartphone today. Or you can follow along on the screen. But Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, When you follow desires of your sinful nature, so when you are under control of the enemy, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. And today we're going to focus on this one, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drama, sins like these. Cutting in and out here. Uh, other sins like these will not, uh, where was that? Let me tell you as I did before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, but as we talk about money today, how many of you would honestly say that if you had a, a little bit of money would make life uh, a little bit better, right? A little bit money would make life a little bit better. Dave Ramsey, who is one of the financial uh, geniuses of our time and and really talks about how to get out of debt and stay out of it, and has a whole teaching and a radio show and all of that stuff. He said, money is a lot of fun if you got some, right? That money, if you have it, can be very helpful, can be a lot of stuff. But I don't know about you, but even when I have extra money sometimes, I don't really spend it on the wisest of things. How many of you have ever made a dumb purchase before, right? And a few years ago, We were in Wisconsin for the state fair, and I will say there's state fair. There's not a lot of things better in Wisconsin than Ohio, but their state fair is better than the Ohio State Fair, and I I had a firsthand experience uh, this year. Somehow, I thought going to the fair would be a great idea with our family, and it just was not a good idea at all, Um, and so we were at the fair, and you ever go into that huge expo warehouse where they just have all that stuff? 
well, you know, they have all those people doing dem- demonstrations with their product, and, you know, they're the best knife in the world. You know, they're throwing up cans of pop and cutting them in half, and, you know, you never have to sharpen it again. While well, we're going through, and I get to the sham wow presentation. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and the guy's, you know, pours Coke out. It was just Diet Coke, no other, you know. And I was like, well, I drink a lot of Diet Coke, so that could be very useful. He's pouring it out, and puts it in the carpet. He's like, see how it soaks through? And he pulls out the sham wow and does a few pats, flips it over, a couple more pats, and boom, the carpet's dry. You know, you'll never need another cloth again. You can wash it. And the sham wow, if you buy today, not only comes with this set, you get a whole nother, the mini sham wow set as well. And, and so I'm looking, I'm going, wow, this is incredible. And he's like, and if you get two or three people to go in with you, you can get a whole nother additional, you know, another tools and all that stuff. And I'm, we had just bought a house. I'm like, man, we need the sham wow for our house. You know, and so I talked to my father-in-law into getting some sham wows. I think my brother-in-law was there too. I'm like, hey, let's all go in. Let's get a whole thing of sham wows. And I'm like, all right, let's sweet. So we get it. And honestly, I was like so excited to get home and try my sham wows. I was like ready to spill something just because I wanted to use my sham wow. And so when I pull out the sham wow and it gets in, you know, and I'm finally using it, cleaning it up. Well, the sham wow didn't work the same at my house as it was at the guy at the fair who was displaying it. And I began to think back, and I was like, you know, he did only use Diet Coke. He only did do it a certain way. And that the sham wow became a scam wow for me. The sham wow did not work the way it was. And I had all these sham wows, and I actually spent, you know, for a piece of fabric, quite a bit of money on these. And I've, they're gone. I, I think I ended up throwing them away when we moved at one point because they didn't work. But many of us in our time have bought things that we really didn't need or we thought we may need that we never used, that we, we bought something and spent something that we didn't need. And the definition of greed is simply this. If you look it up in Mr. Webster's dictionary, he says, greed is an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth and power. And the assassin, again, is all about getting our focus off of God and getting the focus on us. And I think greed is one of the things that he uses in, in such a strong way to really control us. And we're going to talk about that today. And, and of everything we've talked about the last few weeks, bitterness and pride and, and lust and those things, like those are some things that we can bring immediate change to if we take some practical steps and bring accountability. And we've talked through those kind of the practical application side of it. But greed is, is often a very tough one to dig ourselves out of. And to me, as I was studying preparing this, the biggest indicator of greed and how you can know if greed is something that you're dealing with, that the enemy's using in your life to control you and to pull you outside of God's plan, the greatest indicator of greed is debt. It's not the only indicator, because there's plenty of people who have a lot of money, who are very wealthy, who, who are greedy and, and have a desire for more wealth and more power only just to, for themselves and not to contribute to the world in any way. So I'm not saying that, but for the average American, the greatest indicator of greed is debt. And Proverbs 22.7 in the New Living Translation says this. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the, borrow, the borrower is servant to the lender. Servant to the lender. In the Hebrew, servant means ebed, and it, me- it means a slave who is in bondage. A servant to the lender. That the borrow is servant to the lender. I don't know about you if you've been in debt before, but, but maybe for some of you, you know, I, I'd love to get married. I'd love to, you know, do some things, but I can't afford to. Uh, I'd love to stop renting and actually purchase a home, but I don't have enough money for a down payment, and I have debt in these areas. 
you know, I hate my job, I'd love to make a change, but, but we have this certain amount of bills and I have this certain amount of expectations so I can't switch careers and really do what I want because I'm in debt. And maybe I'd love to help someone. I'd love to, you know, maybe go on a missions trip and do something great for God. God's really put some of those desires in my heart. And, you know, I'd love to give more to the church and, and, and be involved in that and, and really see God do something great. But to be honest, I just can't really afford to because of the debt that we have in our life. And so as I kind of looked into the des- debt statistics, the stats of debt, it's really mind-boggling. Uh, the amount of debt that not only have, have any of you ever gone to the website of our national debt, you know, website, it's a live updated feed of how much debt we have as a country. I believe it's somewhere over like $17 trillion now. It adds thousands of dollars by the second that our country keeps going more and more in debt. And so there's no, uh, there's no surprise that the average American really struggles with debt itself. And so the, some debt statistics for you that will come up on the screen here is that the average household debt in the U.S. is now 136% above the average household income. The average. Now, not not everyone in this room, but if we averaged it out, 136%. That's from U.S.gov. For those carrying a balance on a credit card, the average credit card debt is $14,517. The average. The average. It's It's crazy. The average 21-year-old is in debt $12,000, and by the time they're 28, is in debt $78,000. The average number of U.S. households living paycheck to paycheck is 55%. So that means if something happens and you unexpectedly get laid off or something happens at work that that you're not going to make your rent, you're not going to pay your mortgage, you're not going to make your car payment because you're living in a way that you live paycheck to paycheck. And so why is this the case? If this is the average, our country is, 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 is in debt. The average American is in debt that every, week, every month it's compiling and they're getting further and further and further in the hole. Why is this the case? And as I was preparing this week, the one thing that came back was this, was greed. Because we're buying things and spending things that most of it's, it's the sham Wow. I need another sham wow, I need this, I need this, I need all this stuff. And, and as I was really thinking through this week and, and over the last few weeks and all these things that really the assassin uses debt and greed to keep us from doing and pursuing the will of God more than anything else in our life. It straps us. You talk about being enslaved to something. When you, it says that you are a slave to the lender, that you can't do anything that you want to do because you're in bondage to them because you owe them. And debt can control us and greed can really destroy the work of God. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, look, this is our eight-week birthday. Some people came in this morning. I'm like, yes, this is our eighth week. This is like my baby, you know. And so, you know, you tell, you know exactly how old your baby is by days and weeks. And then you slowly forget. I'll slowly forget how old we are. But this is our eighth Sunday. And you're going, not even eight weeks in. And here we go, another preacher talking about money. And I'm not even going to get into tithe or any of that. That's next year. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with that next year. But here's the deal. That if I'm going to be an honest pastor to you and a true shepherd, as the Bible has called me to be, that I need to talk about the things that Jesus talked about. Can we agree on that? 
that I should talk about what Jesus talks about. And so in the Bible, just a little, little help for you, a little background, that money is all over the Bible. Two-thirds of all the parables, which are the stories that Jesus told to illustrate things, dealt with money and possessions. Two-thirds of the stories he told, the parables he told, dealt with money and possessions. In the Gospels, one, so that's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the Gospels that, that tell Jesus' story in his life, one of every ten verses dealt directly with money. One out of ten. And in the Bible itself, 2,300 verses in the Bible deal with money five times as much as prayer and faith. So you go, Kyle, I should come to church and we should talk about how we should pray and how we should encourage our faith and we will talk about those things. But Jesus talked about money more than anything else. And why did he do that? Why did he spend so much time? He had a small window, three years of ministry on this earth. That's it. Three years where he's impacted the world forever. And he spent the majority of his time, two-thirds of his time, talking about money. Why would he do that? Because Jesus knew that money is one of the greatest outward indicators of our inward spiritual condition. He knew that's how it would be. It's the greatest outward indicator of our inward spiritual condition. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 21, For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, so wherever you invest your money, Jesus says, I know that's where your heart is. I know that's what truly is in control of your life. So the devil knows that if he can control our money, that he can control our heart, that he can control our lives. Because out of the heart, the life flows. The, the mouth speaks. What we do comes from right here. And so the devil knows if he can enslave us there with our treasure, where we're investing, that he can control literally everything that we do. And so the assassin tries to tempt us in a few ways with money today. The first one is this. The assassin tries to tempt us to, first of all, serve money. To serve money. Matthew 6, 24 says this. this again, this is Jesus talking. He said, no one, so who's that? That's us, right? We're, we're included in that. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Wow. Jesus laying it out there, no holds barred. You cannot serve both God and money. Because if money, if you're serving money, then money is going to dictate your decisions. But if you're serving God and following his plan, then that should dictate your decisions and and what you do with your life. So how do you know if you're serving money? First of all, again, buying things that you don't need. If you're buying things that you don't need, then you're serving money. You're saying, I I don't need this, but I want this. Uh, It's kind of the whole competing with the Joneses thing. You see the neighbor pull up in that new car and you're going, man, mine's paid off and, you know, it's got, you know, it's getting up there in mileage, you know, but that's a nice car. I, and I, I'd like to have that car, you know? I don't, I have a better job than him. His wife doesn't even work. How did he get that car? We start thinking like that. For me, I don't know about you, you know, cars are, are one thing. I hate them, you know, they're a necessary evil for me. Uh, but, but one thing that really, you know, has been my deal that I always want is TVs. Man. I love TVs, you know? I go in someone's house, they got, you know, I hate Costco. 
Not only do I hate Costco because you just spend unnecessary money all the time, right? That store is a genius. You know, they, they strategically do things to get you to buy stuff that you don't need. Just went to Costco like two days before, and then someone else, you know, needed to go to Costco, and they use our, you know, she took them, and they went together, and she came home with like another $50. I was like, you were just there yesterday. You didn't need any of that stuff yet. Well, I forgot this, and then I saw that. It was on sale that's what they get you to do. But the first thing that you do when you walk into Costco, what do they have right there? TVs, right? They know me very well. I see that sharp 80-inch TV, and I could take up my whole wall in the house that I'm in. That would be incredible. I don't even know how I could mount that thing, but I'm like, that would be awesome. And I have a decent-sized TV. I have a good-sized TV. It's nice TV. But TVs is the one thing to me where I'm like, man, I really... Just, I want to imagine what the Buckeyes would look like, not on 55 inches, but on 80 inches. <laughs> Riley, you'd love to watch Dora on that, wouldn't you? <laughs> and I want it, but do I need it? No way. Do I need the TV I even have right now? No, not really. Could I survive without it? But people do that all the time. They see things and they, well, I, I just want it. So they pull out the credit card, right? Scan it through get something they don't need we're served money when we do that it's because we're not content we compete with our neighbors because we're not content with what we have and so we want what we don't need and if we do that the enemy again he enslaves us he controls us we buy things we don't need how else do you know if you're serving money maybe if you're a hoarder and not a giver you i got money and i'm I'm gonna keep all the money to myself i'm I'm gonna you know this is my security so I gotta have this, this much money and I gotta hold on to my money and do this. And so we put our trust in money and not in God. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So if we treasure our money and we hold it in and we hoard it for ourselves and we don't give freely of what God has blessed us with, then maybe we're serving money. I think it's ironic that the very thing that our country still allows us to put God's name on, if you pull out a bill in your wallet, it'll say, in God we trust right but actually money is the hardest thing for us to trust God with we want to hold on to it and we find our security in it and it's a false security if you don't believe that ask people who had invested money in the day after 9-11 and their security their retirement was gone like that one explosion one change in the economy it can all be gone there's no security in your money, no matter how much you have. It can change instantly. It's a false security, and the enemy gets us to put our trust into that, and we begin to serve it. How else do you know if you're serving money? Maybe it's that you neglect priorities to make more money, primarily for most of us, our family. So we neglect our family and our priorities so that we can make more money. I don't know about you, but sometimes you see those, those things come across your Facebook feed and there's this one that pops up occasionally about a little boy. And the little boy, you know, his dad comes home from work and they're sitting at the dinner table and, and the son asks his dad, he said, Dad, how much do you make an hour? His dad got angry. He said, why would you ask me that? What do you need to know that for? And he just said, Dad, I just want to know how much you make an hour. How much do you make an hour? And he goes, well, if you gotta know, son, it's, I make $50 an hour. And he said, well, what do you, he goes, you don't need anything. And he got upset with his son for asking that question. He sent his son off to his room. So later he starts to think about it. He goes, maybe I was a little hard on him, you know, just kind of wondering why he asked that. So he goes up to his room and he says, son, why did you want to know how much money I made? 
He said, well, because I have $25. And he said, well, you don't even need, what are you asking me for money? If you, you, know, you already have the money. And he said, well, Dad, I'll, I just need 25 more dollars. He goes, what do you want 25 more dollars? You have, his dad's getting confused here. He's getting angry at his son. He's asking him for money. What, he says, well, Dad, if you give me another $24, then I would have $50. Then I could buy an hour of your time. He said, Dad, will you give me $25 so tomorrow night I can buy an hour of your time so we can have dinner together? And obviously the dad got convicted and said, I'm sorry, and he repented. And that's in just an example of where we serve money. We neglect the important things because we got to pay the bills and we got to do this because we're living in a way that God never intended us to live and we have no margin and so we can't miss that trip and we can't skip out on work and we got to go in and we got to get this done. And we don't even realize that the enemy has enslaved us to money. And we're serving it. And it comes from that place of greed for the want to have things. And so the enemy tempts us to serve money. The assassin, he tempts us to serve money. The second thing he does is the assassin tempts us to love money. To love money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money. Look at your neighbor and say, love. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith, and pierce themselves with many sorrows. Here's the deal. Money isn't good or bad. It's neutral. It just depends what you do with it. And here it says that the love of money, so when, again, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So when your love, when your affection, when your desires, when everything is into money, then he says that's the bad thing. And it's what you do with it that determines whether it's good or bad for you. You know, Great philosopher of our time, Biggie Smalls, said this, more money, more money, more problems. I'm glad you guys like Biggie too. That's awesome. More money, more problems. What is he saying there? That a lot of times we think if I can get more money, then it's going to solve so many problems in my life. And what this is really saying here is that more money will only make you more of what you already are. More money, let me say that again. More money will only make you more of what you already are. If you're bad with money with a little, you're going to be bad with money when you have a lot. If you have a lot of debt with a little money, you're going to have a lot more debt with a lot of money. If you don't believe me, why don't you just look up lottery winner stories? Google that when you get home. Lottery winner stories were people who were terrible with money, obviously because they played the lottery every day, Wasting money, wasting, finally hit the jackpot. You know, you have a greater chance of getting struck by lightning like 100 times than you do of winning the Mega Millions jackpot, whatever it is. You know, but, but so they win that. So here's a story. There's a few universities, Vanderbilt and Pittsburgh and Kentucky, like came together, the economists of these schools, and did a study on this. And there was a few stories that I pulled when I Googled that. Kaylee Rogers blew a lottery jackpot of $3 million on shopping, cocaine, friends, plastic surgery, and told reporters two years after she won $3 million, she was working as a maid. William Post squandered his 1998 Pennsylvania prize of over $16 million on houses, vehicles, bad businesses, and before going bankrupt and serving time for firing a shotgun at a bill collector before his death in 2006. He died eight years later. 
1900, in the study of Florida, said 1,900 Florida filed for bankruptcy within five years of winning the lottery. More money just makes you more of what Just going out. Is it good? More money makes you more of what you already are. So more money oftentimes equals more work, right? If you get a promotion and you get more money, well, they're going to require more from you. More money equals more work, which equals more responsibility, which equals more stress, which equals more worry, and it just goes on and on and on and on. So Jesus says, don't love money. Don't trust in money. Don't allow money to dictate your life because it will always let you down. You know, the whole, all these issues we've been talking through that the assassin uses to control our lives. And next year, we're going to do a whole series on that of how we can really, the practical side of climbing out of debt of doing things God's ways, because God's word instructs us on how we can do these things, and we'll spend some time at the beginning of next year working on that and talking through that very practical ways of helping you succeed and win financially in your life. But, but I believe that this is one of the greatest challenges that Christians, non-Christians, Americans, look at the stats again, they don't lie, that it enslaves us the, the desire for more, the want for more, the greed, the enemy hangs it out there. It's the carrot on the stick thing. We're always chasing, always wanting more, and it straps us up and entangles us in a way where we cannot pursue and do the will of God because we're enslaved in debt. And it's the longest, hardest process to dig out of. <coughs> so, how do we fix this problem? Again, we said a little bit of money would do, you know, help me out a little bit. But here's the deal today. You don't need more money. What do you need? You need more Jesus. You don't need more money. You need more Jesus. Matthew 6, 25 through 33 says this. Again, this is Jesus telling a parable, talking about money. He says this. He says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? In your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he certainly care for you? Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Wow. I could have spent a whole hour this morning talking through that passage and really breaking it down. <clears throat> but he talks about why worry about what you're going to eat, what your possessions. Why do you worry about all that? Why do you invest so much time into what you have and what you, all these things that you need? Don't you get what I'm trying to tell you here? Those are the thoughts that, that dominate people who don't have faith in God, who don't follow Jesus and don't have a relationship with, with him. And so he's saying, if you have a relationship with me, all you need is me. 
and all that other stuff that you worry so much about, I got it. I got it. I take that. That's part of the benefit of serving and following God. When we invest our full life into him and we seek his kingdom above everything else, put our priorities in order, we don't put our treasure in money, we don't put our trust in money, we put it solely in him and we seek him above everything else, he says, here's the, here's the guarantee that I give when you follow me. You put me first, I put you first. All that stuff that, that dominates you, that you worry, you stress about, that enslaves you, that puts you in bondage, that the enemy is always using to keep you from really pursuing me, if you would just give that to me and not love money, but just love me and trust in me, I give you those guarantees. The worry, stress-free living. Jess and I have been looking for a home for literally like six months. If we would have moved back a year earlier, and I don't question God's timing or anything, sometimes I do a little bit, but as if, if you know anything about Lewis Center, this area, the market is, is awesome right now. So if you have a house and you want to sell it, first of all, call me. <coughs> but if not, it's a great time to sell. Houses are going fast, very quickly. Jess and I have put, in the last couple months, four offers in on houses. All of them had at least five other offers put in on them as well. And so it's easy for me to get distracted. And I have a nice house that we're living in now. We're, we're renting a house. It's a nice neighborhood. It's safe. It's fine. But it's easy for me to get distracted where I begin to worry about that. And I begin to go, God, what are we going to do? And just the other day, I, you know, we had one. It was lined up. It was a done deal. Guy was out of town. Couldn't sign the offer. They accepted it. Hey, we take it. No other offers. But he's not going to be back in off of business till like 4 o'clock tomorrow. We're like, no problem. Talking closing date, going back and forth. Jess and I are slapping fives. We finally found one. The search is over. Well, at 2.30, another offer came in. And their offer was, uh, I guess, about the same as ours. And so the realtor loves it, of course. Calls our realtor. Hey, best offer by 8 o'clock tonight. Good luck. So I said, that kind of was my best offer, you know. Hey, throw a couple more, a thousand at them or something, you know, maybe that'll do it, you know, and, and we didn't get it. So I can easily get down on that and go, man, what's going on? And I can try to, do, and, but really when I, I looked at Jess, I just said, man, this one was, looked like it was a done deal and, and the door closed and I said, God must have something better for us. And honestly, Jess and I live our life that way, where if something doesn't work out, I just go, God has something better. I literally, I can tend to get off track, but when at the end of the day, I go, man, my faith isn't in that. You know, God knows exactly what he wants for me, and I'm, I'm serving him. I'm giving him my best. I'm doing everything I can to follow him with my life, and so God's got it. Everything I put in God's hand. And when I do that, <coughs> it's not my worry to carry. It's God's. He says, you don't need to worry about those things. Your heavenly Father will take care of those for you. It allows me to live in his provision and not just in mine. Not just in what I can make happen, but what God can make happen. God can do anything that he wants whenever he wants. So I get to put my faith in that, my trust is in that, not in myself and not in my own money. It gives me the freedom to pursue and do the will of God. If Jess and I had been in debt when, we, when God spoke to us to plant this church, to reach some of you who weren't in a church, and to continue to reach people in this place. And I'm not saying this because I'm the best person with money, believe me. I, I have my own issues and I have my own, I, I bought the sham wow, okay? So, so we're good. But thankfully, we were in a place financially where we didn't have any debt and we could pursue 
the will of God for our life. If we would have had debt, and we would have had bills, and we had no margin in our life, when God spoke to us to do this, we would have had to say no. We wouldn't have been able to afford to. And that's what the enemy wants for your life. He wants to enslave you through greed, through debt. So when God speaks to you, when God challenges you, God presents you with an opportunity where you go, I can't afford it. And most of us, we get under that, we're enslaved to that, we really don't even know it. We just go, oh, I can't afford to, so must not have been the right thing. And we don't even realize that the enemy is using that to keep us from pursuing the will of God. The band's going to come. We're going to close out. But here's the deal. If you look over the scriptures again, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't. You cannot love money and love God. It says the two are opposite. Your treasure has to be, your heart has to be solely God's and in him alone. And if we live that way, money then serves us. And here's how money should be. Again, money's neutral. It's not good or bad. It's what we do with it. But as Christ followers, money should serve us as we serve God. It will enable you to do what God's called you to do, to serve God in the way that he wants you to. How, what, what does that look like maybe for you? Where, you know what, I'm not going to work on Sundays anymore. I'm not going to be enslaved to that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get my life free of that where work doesn't dictate my schedule. That I understand we different things, but... But I want to be at church. I want to serve God. I want to grow in my faith. I want, to, I want to put God first in my life so that he'll handle these needs for me. Money serving you as you serve God. God calls you to, to move and to take a different job, to pursue something differently. You can do it because money's serving you as you serve God, not the other way around. Jesus himself said, you cannot serve both God and money. You will love one and hate the other. And I would say most of us in this room, we say, who do you love more, Jesus or, or, or money, God or money? We would all say, hey, and I love God. So what do you need to do? And we'll, we'll talk more practical later. But God wants you to be able to live in a way that you can do and pursue what he wants for your life. But we gotta make sure we get things in check that our focus is on him, that we're serving him, that we're loving him, we're giving him the best of what we have, putting our priorities where they need to be.